Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. All right, folks, let's get this straight right now. It's not 2022. It's 2022. It's election shock therapy. I have a beef about this, guys. This is not going to be a repeat of 2020. All right? We're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're moving on. We're moving forward. Time is not a flat circle. I'm here. I'm Chris Moore. And joining me in this forward-looking podcast (laughs) are... Andy Bramson. And Matt Kukum. And I'll point out, yes, things can always get worse. So, yeah. Oh, good. It's going to be one of those days. Uh, we might have a Mitch Crumb joining us midway through this podcast if we can resolve a few issues. Uh, but if not, it's the three of us. And we are here. Uh, now, I should mention, um, as uh, uh, good, faithful members of the Bethel University community, uh, we are not interested in witchcraft or fortune telling. However, we are going to do a little bit of prognosticating today. And so... We're going to uh, think about some possible political events uh, as if it was the stock market and what kinds of things we're interested in buying, which kind of things we're interested in selling. Maybe we're not quite sure. We're going to sit on something for a while and think about it and hold. But um, here's the thing. As political scientists, guys, do you feel like you're good prognosticators? Do you feel like you're good at making educated guesses about the future? Not that Mediocre. Yeah. We're much better at explaining things after they've happened. Um, Post hoc is our jam. Uh, So um, this is is kind of keep us accountable a little bit. We're going to do this for the recording. We're going to do this for posterity. We'll probably come back and revisit some of these predictions a little bit later in the year just to see how well we did. But uh, we've asked uh, our good friend, Dr. Kukum, here to come up with a list of propositions that um, may or may not come to pass here in 2022. Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, if I had a crystal ball that, you know, worked, um, well, I don't have any crystal balls. I don't have any crystal balls. Like, crystal- how many crystal balls do you have that are busted? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just they shattered his fingers. But if I had, a, like, a crystal ball that, you know, did what crystal balls are supposed to do, right, let's just say I would be out there making bank somewhere. Um, yeah. Love Bethel, but I'd be out there making bank somewhere else. Um, but... <laughs> Because I don't, we are left with trying to create our own little marketplace, you know, amongst our little cadre and maybe look to the wisdom of the marketplace to tell us something about um, about the future. Maybe if, hopefully if I had a 2022 sports almanac, I would I could make some bank that that was for Sam. Um, all right, Matt, <laughs> let's give us some uh, give us your first proposition. Okay. All right. So the game is buy, sell, hold. Um, these are these are political, um, but we're going to start out with some sort of more sweeping, sort of broad, you know, outlook for 2022. So, um, just going down the list here. So first, um, and this is kind of a mashup. So basically, the proposition is there's going to be more COVID variants of lesser severity, and we'll move into a endemic situation as opposed to a pandemic situation. That's the first proposition. 
Buy, sell, hold. Chris. Now, I, I, off air, before we started recording, I promised these guys that I was not going to say hold for a bunch of things and claim that I just couldn't tell. But this will be one of the rare times in this list I am going to hold. Because <sighs> if you had simply said, will there be more, more variants and will this turn into an endemic? I would have said, buy. But when, when things we know from epidemiology, one of the things I'm learning about epidemiology, because aren't we all becoming junior epidemiologists at this point, is that we don't really, we can't really attribute volition to virus variants. We know that virus variants um, replicate better in hosts that are still alive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the virus chooses to be less um, uh, sure. less less uh, virulent or less severe. And so it is entirely possible that Omicron is so uh, pervasive and so infectious that we actually could get something relatively quickly approaching herd immunity, which would cause us to have a dramatic drop in cases. But that doesn't actually mean that we have any sense of whether a future variant is going to be more or less deadly. And if we all of a sudden get, I don't know, we're going to run out of Greek letters at some point. So I'm going to start calling these, um, I'm going to start calling these viruses like, I don't know, um, uh, asteroid 12 um, uh COVID or something <laughs> like that. But if we get something that is particularly deadly in six months, I mean, there's nothing to suggest that we will or won't have that happen. Um, all the more reason for um, uh, for public health campaigns to be successful. So yeah, I'm hold, I'm holding. We, we just can't know. That's my stance. Okay, fair enough, Andy. I also went back and forth on this one, but I'm going to sell, and I'm going to sell because um, I just think that the fear is in our brains in, in many ways, right? And so in addition to the actual public health problem, which is very real, but we have a deep kind of fear in our brains that I think is going to keep us from getting rid of policies like mask mandates in that in the short term in, in 2022 um i think they're going to still exist in not insignificant pockets of the country um you know beyond that for a variety of reasons so that's my prediction it's i i'm very conflicted on this but that's where i'm at i'm selling um yeah, so I had kind of a split um, our COVID things into like the pandemic. Um, so sorry, Andy, and then and then sort of the the government policies and reaction to them. But just sort of in keeping with that, I'm gonna buy that we're gonna have more variants, but they will be of less less severity. Um, I think probably in the end we're gonna get. Um, a gradual, I think we're already seeing a, a be beginnings of a shift in mindset over a uh, pandemic policies. Um, and even amongst sort of the coastal elites, which have been um, much more sort of concerned about the virus and much more cautious in their sort of policy approach, you're already starting to see a shift in mindset on that. Um, so I think we're going to move to endemic. I think another variant is quite likely. Um, it might even be less severe than what we have currently. And I think we're going to, we're going to move something to closer to normal this year. So that's I, my prediction. I hope you're right. I would like you to be right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, let's move on. Um, so um, projection number two, inflation continues to remain at historically high levels. Andy. Bye. Bye. In fact, that's why we have high inflation. We're because we're buying. Bye. Bye. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, you know, economists will talk about that as well, about how if you think there's high inflation, 
that just produces more inflation, right? Yeah. Um, so much of our- It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, really, I mean, so much of our fiscal policy is just an exercise in collective psychology, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We could have a whole pot on that, but um, I'm, I'm buying all the way. Um, yeah. And the money I'm using to buy is now becoming devalued. So yeah. just buy, baby, buy. Okay. Um, ready to move on? Let's do number three. Um, sure. Uh, moving into politics proper. Okay. Biden's poll numbers stabilize and begin to, if they don't move upward, they at least hold at where they're currently at. So stabilize, flatline, or move up. Buy, sell, hold. I know that, I know that we're parsing, um, parsing the, the herbs here, uh, Dr. Kukum, but, and, uh, um, Mitch! Mitch! He's alive. Mitch, we are, we are mid-podcast right now, buddy, so we're going to throw a few things at you real fast. Buckle up. Here we go. Um, <laughs> so it, 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 get, to, give, uh, uh, to give Dr. Crum a chance to get settled in here, uh, let me ask you this question, Dr. Kukum. Is there um, – what is the time frame? Is this, is this in the next couple of months, or is this by the midterms? Uh, okay, fine, but by the midterms. Okay, that changes my answer. Great, great, great. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I actually think that uh, Biden's numbers are going to move down in the next couple of months. And I think he will set some all-time lows by March. But from that point, whether it's regression towards the mean, which will account for part of it, or what I actually do think there's going to be a significant return to normalcy uh, in terms of COVID, not in terms of inflation, but in terms of COVID, I think that his numbers will actually go up slightly, but I don't think they'll hit 50%. So I will buy this. Yeah, I'm buying too. Uh, similar logic. I just think, I don't think he can dip a lot lower um, just because of the way polarization is. So I'm buying. Yeah, I, I'm buying too. I'm guessing um, he'll he'll stabilize and maybe tick upward eventually. Um, I think once people um, sort of get past this big COVID wave, things kind of stabilize, life returns to normal a little bit more. Um, people kind of forget about all of the just political fiascos that surrounded the Biden administration the second half of 2021, right? Um, I think some of that's going to go in the rear view mirror and people are going to start thinking at least, well, not, not everyone, but some people are going to start thinking more about the midterms and who's running. Um, and that's just less attention on the Biden administration. I mean, a lot of this depends on what the Biden administration is going to do, right? If they try to push for legislation, which it looks like they might, um, and that fails, that's not going to look good. Right. Um, and, and other things too, but I'm guessing it's going to stabilize. So. Mitch, you want to jump in on this one or you want to take a pass? <laughs> um, so uh, the question is whether Biden's poll numbers are going to stay the same or change, right? Or move back or move up a little bit. Stabilize or move up is buy or you know, buy sell hold on that. Uh, I'm, I, I, think, I think they're going to move up. I actually wonder about the pessimism. I mean, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, I think one of the wild cards that is going to play into this is um, the January 6th committee is about to start holding hearings. And I think once they start holding hearings and we start mm. to hear about all of the probably terrible things that were going on, um, not only in the Trump White House, but also the Republicans in the House, um, at, that may rehabilitate um, the Democratic image more generally and Biden um, in particular. It might suddenly be the case that people 
suddenly remember that things didn't look so rosy for the entire Republican Party, um, or at least the vast majority of the Republican Party, not that long ago. Um, and I'm wondering if that that may help Biden a little bit as well. Yeah, maybe. Although I honestly think the what we get out of these hearings and other investigations over the next year is going to mean jack diddly squat to 95 percent of people yeah most people made up their minds i think maybe it could make a difference amongst the true independents right that might swing them a little bit so, so maybe maybe a couple percentage points um but that's all i would be willing to bet um maybe i'm wrong you know i don't have a crystal ball we talked about this um but um yeah. i actually think if there's a big smoking gun somewhere in the january 6th commission it might induce another conservative republican ron DeSantis. i'm looking at you to try to primary against donald trump but i don't think it does much to actually rehabilitate joe biden's perception yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I agree i agree um Okay, so all of us are buying that that Biden's oh, yeah. uh, poll numbers are going to stabilize and maybe tick upward a little bit by the midterms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, by the midterms. Um, and really, we should probably have a sense of that by August, I would think. Okay, um, moving along. Um, so, number four, um, Biden and the Democrats in Congress fail to pass any significant legislation beyond the usual spending resolutions, and they fail to do this um, before the midterms. So no significant legislation to speak of, non, you know, other than the spending resolutions, no significant legislation before the midterms. Buy, sell, hold. Buy. Oh, I like this. We're going we're gonna to disagree. Yeah. Um, Andy, Matt, Mitch, I'm going to sell on this. I feel like there is a couple pieces of legislation that they are going to pass before, uh, before the midterms. Right. Care to explain yourself? Well, I want to get Mitch on the board because <laughs> Mitch is the tie-breaking vote here uh, before, before <laughs> Matt wades in. We'll see if we get a split decision. Uh, I, I feel pretty torn on this. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I do agree. There are some pieces that I think might might be able to float through. I guess I guess part of it depends on what we mean by significant legislation. Yeah, um, I have two pieces in mind. Uh, I, I know I'm I know I'm honing uh, Matt's question here. Okay, that's and fine. I'm, but I'm going to suggest um, a the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act and the Build Back Better legislation. Maybe to the former, definitely not to the latter. I think some version of both pass. Mm. Old. <laughs> because I think the Biden administration and the House and Senate leaderships realize they're between this. Uh, I always mispronounce this. I, this is bad for my humanity street cred. Uh, I always read it because I don't say it, but um, it's it's silent and charybdis, right? Yeah, uh, Sam's giving me sort of a half nod. Okay, so this is they're, they're between a rock and a hard place, right? You, they they need to they need to pass some version of voting rights reform in order to mollify the more progressive side of the of the Democratic Party and to mobilize voters, particularly voters, uh, m minority voters who who took the promise of. Of, um, of voter rights reform as a key campaign promise of the Biden administration. At the same time, for economic and pocketbook voters, um, some version, a let's just say it, a Joe Manchin acceptable version of the Build Back Better legislation needs to pass as well. And so they need to get both these things, I think. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to work really hard to make that happen. I don't disagree that they need them. I'm just not sure they can do it. 
Yeah, I think um, I guess I guess part of me wonders as far as like the build back the build back better uh, uh, bill. I'm wondering if that passes. Um, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess I'm wondering if that, if that, if, if once that gets passed, if it's, if it's so slimmed down, it doesn't, it doesn't hardly count anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, I, I'm wondering about that. I mean, cause I know like Pelosi and Manchin were in like pretty deep talks for a while. And I think she was shocked when he came out and said that he was against it because she had mostly like gone along with what he had already said he wanted. So I don't know. It seems yeah. like it seems tricky on that front. Yep. I am going to buy that we won't have any significant legislation. Okay. I don't think there is sufficient agreement amongst the different wings of the Democratic Party on either of these measures, a resuscitated Build Back Better or a voting rights. Um, I think there's more hope for the Voting Rights Act because Manchin has actually signaled support for it. Right. Um, so cinema. Um, but of course, the thing that's being talked about in the news this very day, um, January 12th, um, is whether or not they're going to actually be able to um, to get 10 Republican votes in the Senate for um, for the Voting Rights Act, which is, you know, definitely it's non-spending legislation. So they can't use reconciliation as a measure to bypass um, a minority, you know, blocking maneuver, right? Um, or if they can't get those ten Republicans in the Senate, are they willing to nuke the filibuster? And that's a big, that's a big question. And I, and to nuke the filibuster, you only need a simple majority, right? But I think there's going to be a handful of Democrats in the Senate who are going to say, you know what, the Republicans have a real shot of taking the Senate this upcoming year. And we'd like to hang on to that filibuster. So we're not going to burn that bridge right now um, and give Republicans. Um, if, if, if there's going to be a burning down of the filibuster, we don't want to be the ones doing it. So that makes me think we're not going to have a significant Voting Rights Act. Um, and um, even though there is actually some agreement um, amongst members of Congress about real things that could be reformed about our our election system, right? Um, that don't go so far as to federalize our system, but that fix current current problems, um, yeah. statutory problems in the law. But you know, that sort of stuff doesn't mobilize people. That stuff doesn't get excited. You can't really go on Fox News or MSNBC and talk about it. So, I I don't think we're going to have significant legislation, and I'm willing to stake about two dollars on that. So. <laughs> I must say, as a public disclaimer, Bethel University does not endorse gambling. That's okay. right. Mr. Vice President. I preface that at the beginning I, of this podcast. Yeah, I think I, th I think I'm buying on this too. I, I, oh, I, I man. All right. I agree, yes. with much, I, I agree with most of what Matt um, just yeah. said. I think I think the the just the institutional problems are kind of insurmountable for for some of us. Yeah. But. Yeah. I do think, I mean, one of the things that, that I also wonder about is, you know, and there's been some talk about this, is, is, if, is if not, this is where the word significant kind of plays a role, I think, um, is if there are like little piecemeal bits and pieces of this that do make it through before the year's out, you know, so maybe not an entire like Build Back Better program, but maybe, you know, bits and pieces to like help businesses or to relieve student debt or something like that, like floats through. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's really the way we, we should be doing policy, right? Not these gigantic yeah. omnibus bills um, that are just stupidly huge. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, we, yeah, I, I agree. If we do get things passing, it's going to be in a more piecemeal, um, modest fashion. So, okay, we got to move on, people. Um, so, um, okay. I'm selling all your buying on that one. All yeah, right. exactly. Okay, so number five, Biden increasingly turns to use executive orders to implement his policy agenda. As his agenda stalls at Congress, buy, sell, hold. I'm I'm buying this. Yeah, I think this one's going to be pretty open and shut. I th- we, this is a standard behavior we see amongst presidents, particularly uh, embattled ones. I think buy. Yeah, I think. Well, I think mostly buy. Although Biden has already done a lot with executive orders, and sure. so I'm not sure about. I guess I'm not, again, I'm sort of nitpicking on the word increase. Because he's, yeah, because he's already been willing to to use executive orders pretty extensively. And so, um, I mean, I agree that he's probably going to lose focus on Congress, especially if it doesn't, you know, especially if the midterms go badly, which they probably will, um, you know, for him. But, uh, but I don't know. He's already shown himself pretty willing to use them. And, I mean, it's interesting. I, I remember – this was way back. This was like two or three years ago um, when the Times was doing like their interviews of all the Democratic primary candidates. He was like the only one who said that he thought the presidency didn't have enough power and should have more unilateral power um, to enact an agenda um, based on like, you know, basically the the idea that he felt like the Obama administration um, had been too restricted in what they and what they'd been able to what they've been able to accomplish. Which is wild because of the expansion of, of uh, the presidency's power over the course of the last four administrations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but all that is to say, like, I don't think Biden's gonna, I don't think Biden has been and I don't think he's going to continue to be shy about using u- unilateral power. Yeah. So I'm not sure about the increasing. So maybe hold on that one, I guess. <laughs> For my Americanist friends here, is there any evidence that a president heading into their midterm where they typically lose seats will start to drop executive orders to um, try and bolster their party's chances of victory in November? That's a little shakier. Um, certainly when they're a lame duck after the midterms, if they're on their way out, um, or running for re-election, you see an uptick, but certainly on their way out. Um, before midterms, I think it's a little shakier. Um, okay. Although I think our data is a little bit more limited on that because our congressional sort of gridlock has really become more acute in the past couple of presidencies. Um, so there's less data on that. So I, I would have to go look to see if there's been an increase. But Okay. But anyway, okay. So I'm buying, I, it sounds like Mitch is saying, yeah, he's going to continue to do, um, you know, relatively historically high uses of... Yep of this so i'd say mitch is probably buying chris andy oh i'm buying yeah you're buying andy yeah yeah yep. buying okay all right um i think we might all continue to buy on the next one um i might even bet two dollars on that as well um item number six polarization continues to deepen um and we will see evidence of this in that the primary elections will result in the most ideological and radical group of office seekers we have yet seen in our lifetimes I'm actually a little more torn on this one just because yeah. it's a little bit like the kind of Mitch protest of the previous question. Like, I don't know. We've already had some pretty radical groups. We've, I mean, like, like, okay. we're going to go one crazier than Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's like, going to be a, like a whole bevy of Mar- Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greens. 
And AOC, I'll see you at Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I'll raise you a Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, so that's that's my one real. I mean, I think I'm basically a buy, but yeah, it depends on how we define this. Um, how much more does it have to deepen? Like, that kind of thing. But, yeah. I, I'm not saying like we're going to have raving maniacs necessarily. You know, all of them. I'm just saying you're going to get more people who yeah. are extremely ideological. Right. I don't think it's going to get less. Let's put it that way. So I think I'm basically a buy. I actually really like your choice of of, uh, of adjective here in terms of deepen, because I think that we're going to see over the course of 2022, and then even through the next presidential election, regardless of whether or not Donald Trump is the candidate for the Republican Party, is that a, a deep polarization which existed around the persona of Trump, around his nature, around his character, around who he was as an avatar for the Republican Party will deepen it beyond him. Uh, this this polarization will persist beyond his departure from the political scene whenever that happens. And we're going to see evidence of that this year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm buying. Sure. I agree, Chris, and I, I'm buying that as well. Mm-hmm. Mitch, have we heard yeah, from buying. you yet? Fine. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. But I, I think we're um, all buying. Yeah. Um, we, we've talked a, a lot about polarization on this pod, but okay, we could say more. I'm going to move us along. Um, okay, item number seven. This one's for you, Chris. Oh, good. Yay. Russia launches a full-scale military invasion into Ukraine. Man, I don't feel good about this um, because... <laughs> you don't feel good about invasions? What? <laughs> well, yeah, in, in general, I, I don't feel good about bloodshed. Uh, but I'm glad to hear it. I... I promised I would try and keep my number of holds to a minimum. And let me let me let me um, let me preface this by saying there are two images of Vladimir Putin that are circulated in the Western media. The first image is Vladimir Putin, the chess master, the KGB master, the the guy who's twelve steps ahead of us, who's playing chess or playing checkers. Yeah, um, the deep thinker. The other. Um, the, the other uh, image is Vladimir Putin, the blackjack player. Like he's just taken the next gamble. He's just seeing how far he can push. He's seeing what he can get away with. Yep. He's a risk taker. He's a risk taker, especially when he senses weakness and there's no grand strategy. Which one is he? I don't know. I actually think there's a little bit of evidence for both. And I think it depends on the arena within which he's operating. So all things considered, it wouldn't shock me if there was a Russian incursion uh, to test the waters in, in Eastern Ukraine, the Donbass region. And yet overall, because of the way that Europe has responded, because of the way the United States has responded, which I think so far has been to consolidate in terms of um, interest and consolidate in terms of messaging. I think there won't be. So I'm, I don't think there will be a Russian invasion. You're selling. I'm selling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm a I'm a hold on this. I just don't have a clear enough sense of it. So I'm a hold as well. Um, I read certain Russian experts, and I'm like, oh man, he's going to do it. And I read others, and I'm like, no, he's not. Um, and I'm just not sure. And I think anyone who says he's definitely going to, and we're right on the cusp, and anyone who says there's no way he'd be an idiot to do it, he would never do that. I think both are not exercising enough humility about this. Um, yep. And they're just, 
there's advantages and disadvantages to both courses of action um, along the lines of Putin's own goals, right? So I just, I, that's, I'm going to have to hold on this. So, I mean, Mitch? I, we, oh, please, Mitch. No, I was going to say, I don't have any, I don't feel like I have any particular expertise or insight into the, into that, into the situation there. Okay. Um, I mean, I do wonder if, I guess the only thing I have to add to it is just that, you know, there's, there are a number of, quite a number of Russian nationals who still more strongly identify with Russia who live in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I wonder to what extent, um, and I, and again, I don't know how to quite how to read it, but I, I wonder to what extent the even the threat of invasion i mean and there is sort of like already some conflict going on at the border mm -hmm. i mean it's not that there's you know it's not that there's zero conflict right now which is you know i, I guess again i'm not an expert on ir but from everything i've read it's pretty obvious that these are actually russian troops yep <laughs> yeah. even yep. though they are like identifying themselves and flying the flag <laughs> yep. Yep. um but I wonder to what extent, you know, this is meant to sort of either try to encourage them to either become more Russian friendly or if it's meant to sort of like encourage them to engage in a secession from Ukraine. I don't know. I'm wondering, you know, maybe if there's a plan along those lines with those Russian nationals in Ukraine. Yep. It's less yeah, I just think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, the question is. How, how much does Putin think he has to gain by trying to carve off a, a piece of the Ukraine, right? Um, you can also become enormously unpopular um, by, you know, trying to invade and take over, um, even if you have, you know, some, you know, a good chunk of Russian actuals there. So I, I, I don't know. Chris, you, you're chomping at the bit to say something. So. I actually think what, what Mitch just said helps me feel more confident in myself. Good. Okay. Because Putin has a lot of options at his disposal, short of invasion. Mm -hmm. To continue to undermine uh, what he really wants is a guarantee that Ukraine won't join NATO. Right. And at this time, Biden agrees with him on that. Although Biden can't say that publicly, there's no way Ukraine gets into NATO unless Putin invades. Right. And so there are plenty of middle range options, I guess, to, to be sort of game theoretic about it. Wind sets mm -hmm. where, where Putin gets what he wants and the, the, the EU and the, United, and the United States don't have to look like they're backing down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wants to expand his sphere of influence. Right. I mean, that's clear given other events going on in that part of the world. Right. So he wants to expand his sphere of influence, sort of put roll back some of that Western influence that's been sort of creeping eastward. And if he, you know, launches an invasion, you know, there is a risk that there is going to be a significant response yeah, right, by absolutely. the West. Um of course, he might see that he might see the West doesn't really have an appetite to respond um, with force. So he might be willing to to you know roll the dice on that. But but who knows? Okay, we got to move on. Okay, let, let's move to um, back to domestic politics. Um, okay, number eight: Republicans win the House of Representatives, and Nancy Pelosi steps down as Speaker of the House. This is one of those things where it comes from the back of the crowd, like this slow rumble of a chant. Bye, 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 bye. This is the easiest call on the whole list, right? Yeah, probably. This is where I would bet my two, not real Bethel, my two dollars, right? I mean, every track record suggests that the president's party loses seats in the midterm elections. There's already a very thin majority for the for, for, for Biden's party. Um, 
it would be stunning for the Democrats not to lose the House. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I'm buying. Yep. I think the only interesting part of this would be if you interpret Pelosi steps down as not just a speaker, but as Democratic leader, is that debatable? Um, I think she's going to step down as Democratic leader too, but I, I could be a persuaded of that. She might renege on that promise, but yeah, otherwise I'm a hard buy. Yep. Mitch. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, this, I, I, obviously the smart money is on, is on buying. Um, all I the money that, is on buying. What? All the <laughs> money is on buying. Well, <laughs> um, but I do wonder a little bit, I mean, I think there's sort of two possibilities. I mean, again, I don't think they're, I don't think they're enough to make me go back on it, but I do think there are things that are somewhat in the Democrats favor for this, um, for this, for this particular midterm, um, more than more than so than perhaps in others. One of them is that partially because they didn't have such a good year, and they under you know they underperformed in 2020. Um, there are probably more seats available to them than normally would be. I mean, normally the coattails of a president sweeps in a lot of people who are in vulnerable seats. And therefore, it's for that reason, it's those vulnerable seats then that get picked off in the midterms. There are a lot fewer vulnerable seats um, because Biden didn't sweep in that many people. Um, and so I think there's fewer of those places where the Republicans obviously have like, oh, this person won in a, you know, a, a mostly red district or whatever. Like there's very few of those because, again, Biden's coattails obviously weren't that strong. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I think that weakens the normal trend that you would see for, you know, in favor of Republicans. And I think the other weakening factor um, for the for uh, for the Republicans is that, again, I don't know. I know I know you, you are all discounting the January 6th commission. Um, I'm 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 not fully convinced that it's not going to be something that doesn't at least register to some degree. And 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 maybe maybe if nothing else like in those districts that are going to matter where there's where there are independents and moderates um you know if 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 there are a series of of terrible revelations um you know it's exactly in those districts that 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 you need i mean to tip if you're going to pick up seats and you know maybe people will have less appetite for um you know for that i don't know we'll see yeah i'm still buying <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think I think what could matter more is if you get, um, you know, in these somewhat swingier districts, the Republicans who win the primaries are just so, you know, so far right that there's yeah. just not an appetite to vote for them. Um, I think that would matter more. Um, yeah, I do. Th I do think that's right. Well, but I think that plays into the January sixth part too. I mean, it could. If you if, yeah. if you get a bunch of like Trumpy Trump endorsed candidates, I mean, especially in you know more moderate districts, I mean, that's when I think that's when the revelations actually matter the most. I mean, if you get a bunch of Trump endorsed people, and then it comes out, you know, all these terrible things that Trump endorsed people have done, um, you know, then then the two things kind of work together to really you know, build momentum against um, a Republican takeover. Um, and it also might influence the national narrative. You know, it's hard to predict what the national media narrative then turns into. Um, and I think it also depends on whether you get, um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's a lot looming. I think there's more looming for these midterms against mm -hmm. um, the Republicans than normally would be. I think this is a less, you know, a lot of people are just sort of feeling, and again, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of story out there that says, well, you know, the President's Party always loses seats. And I, I don't know, I think there's more storm clouds for the Republican Party in this midterm than than normal. Um, so I'm not sure that it's sort of the open and shut, 
landslide, you know, that, 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 that sort of seems like the intuitive prediction. I, I still think, you know, they'll probably gain seats. And I actually think the other thing that matters, maybe even more than anything else, is the gerrymandering. I mean, I think Republicans control more states. They're going to have gerrymandered more states in their favor. Yep. And that may be enough to tip the balance so that they gain more seats and take over. But, yep. you know, again, that's sort of, you know, yeah. 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 And I was actually going to uh, bring that up. So I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, these these states are the process of redistricting. Right. Um, and I, I've been kind of poking around and, and looking at some of the maps and um, and, you know, there are what is it? Thirty five, thirty seven state legislatures that are controlled by Republicans. Um, right. And a number of these are, you know, in a redistricting process. And and some of the maps they're producing are, are very friendly towards Republicans, creating more yeah. sort of. Yeah. Uh, more Republican seats. So, but even if you were to set that aside, I would still say Republicans are likely to win, um, to win at least a small majority in the House. And I think even with the gerrymandering, I don't think it's going to be a Republican blowout. I could be wrong. Um, I think it's not going to be as big as perhaps expected for the reasons that you mentioned, Mitch. Um, but I still think, I still think they're gonna they're gonna pull it off. Um, it would be it'd be kind of weird if they didn't. But okay. We'll have lots of time to talk about um, the, the the midterm elections, but we got to move on. So um, here's here's a fun one um, related to the House of Representatives. Um, so this this assumes. Well, well, let's just make this assumption. Let's just assume for the sake of this bet, well, virtual bet, not non bet, right? Uh, let's just like assume that Republicans win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> win. <laughs> Let's assume that Republicans win the House of Representatives. The prognostication is that Kevin McCarthy, who is currently the Republican minority leader in the House, the prognostication is that he becomes Speaker of the House by sell hold. I, I really have wrestled with this one back and forth. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to hold because here's my, here's my kind of two cases, right? On the one hand, there's no other obvious option you don't really even have a paul ryan waiting in the wings like which is what happened last time mccarthy was supposed to be speaker and couldn't get enough republicans behind him but i think the same problems are still there for mccarthy um i don't think he's that loved i do think that kind of to the previous discussion the republican majority might not be all that huge and so again if you're you know listening like the, the difference between mccarthy being speaker of the of the house and being house minority leader is that to be minority leader he just has to get a majority of the House Republicans right. to vote for him, which is not that high a bar. Um, so he's got that. That's not a problem. But to be Speaker, he has to get 218 votes. He obviously isn't going to get any Democratic votes. So that means he has to consolidate the Republican votes, which means a relatively small part of the House caucus, could, a Republican caucus, could torpedo his speakership. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know who their backup is, right? It's not clear to me what they're like. If you don't do McCarthy, who do you put into the speakership? So I'm a hold. I just don't know. Chris? <laughs> All right, so um, I'm going to make Sam laugh here, I hope. Because I'm podcasting from home, Yeah, you are. I get to do something that I can't do at Bethel, which I get to look up the Irish betting lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, Bethel's uh, internet blocker blocks gambling websites, which good on them, right? Um, but... It's as political scientists, it's sort of nice to look up and see what is sort of the collective wisdom of 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 betters, essentially gamblers, who are putting their money where their mouth is on these things. And so, Andy's Andy's exactly right. Um, 
Kevin McCarthy has neg- uh, has minus two forty five odds um, to become the next Speaker of the House, so he's the front runner by far. The next most likely person to be Speaker of the House is Hakeem Jeffries. So that assumes, by the way, that somehow Democrats hold on to the House, but Nancy Pelosi still isn't Speaker. In fact, Nancy Pelosi is plus twenty four hundred. So that's actually quite low. She shares. Uh, those odds with, are you ready for this list? Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and Donald Trump. So so to be clear, um, there really (laughs) isn't anybody behind Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in terms of, in terms of this proposition, I'm, I'm going to, uh, um, I'm going to buy as well, because I'm just not sure who else it would be. Yeah, yeah. The Trump one is interesting, right? Because technically, to be a speaker, you don't have to be a House member. And so, what if they said, like, we hate McCarthy and we want Trump? Like, again, then you're like, what if Trump said, I'll do it, right? Um, that'd be interesting. And I don't know why he would want to do that, but yeah, but that would to present to to help impeach Joe Biden, right? <laughs> Which we go for next one. <laughs> We're, we're getting okay, I, to that. We're getting to that. So. Okay, okay, but but no, but no, sir. Okay, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. In proposition in a second, but <laughs> I, I've come around on this idea, Andy, because initially I thought, oh yeah, there's no way Donald Trump wants to be Speaker of the House. But the more I think about it, why wouldn't he? I mean, he doesn't have to stay Speaker. He can quit after you know. Yeah. Once. It's just a platform for him. He's not actually interested in legislating. Yeah, he'll He's let him gonna... in the chair. And, 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 and honestly, as Speaker of the House with a uh, with a Democratic president, he doesn't have to legislate. Right. It's right. a it's kind of a it's not a bad place for him to relaunch right. his presidential aspirations. Right. And he has actual power over some of his enemies and, mm-hmm. and friends. I mean, you know. Do you think? all the Republicans would get on, or almost all the Republicans would get on board with that. No! (laughs) It would be incredibly divisive within the Republican Party, even within the Republican Party caucus in Congress. Exactly, which is... Enough of them who insist on it. Then then the question is, like, do you want to oppose this and risk the wrath of Donald Trump? Right, right. I just wonder if that'd be a bridge too far for enough of them, even the ones who are fairly supportive of Trump. They're like, hey, this breaks precedent, like... And, and they would know that maybe in supporting it, it would look ludicrous to the people back home, right? And they don't have that kind of margin for error. And then if there's a possibility that Trump could could lose this, is he really going to want to roll that risk? Yeah, take that risk. So, yeah, I don't um, think exactly, but I think it's you can imagine a path, right? Like, yeah, it, it, I improbable but not impossible, right? Yep. Um, yep. Okay, so but back um, to McCarthy becomes Speaker of the House. Yep. Andy's buying. Chris is buying. I'm buying. Mitch. I'm a hold. Yeah, Mitch. I'm buying. Oh, hold, 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 Chris, you're a buy. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm buying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying just because again, there's nobody. You, you, you can't, you can't beat somebody with nobody, yeah. and there really isn't somebody to to take on McCarthy. And the other thing too that I think McCarthy's done to enhance his chances. Um, is he has become, I mean, originally he was kind of the establishment person yeah. who ticked off more you know, populist, right-leaning, yeah. Tea Party type people, but he has done an enormous amount of work over the last 
uh, few years to make himself into that guy. I mean, even, you know, being the, basically the first person in Congress to go back and, you know, lick Trump's boots to say, yes, we want you and we love you. And, uh, you know, I will come and, you know, do my obeisance at, uh, here, you know, at Mar-a-Lago, um, and all that. So, I mean, the fact that he was willing to be that person, I mean, I think probably helps a lot getting the people that maybe wouldn't have been on his side before. I'm buying. I will say, though, if McCarthy does not become speaker, it will be because it will be because Trump endorses somebody else for speaker, which is a possibility. Uh, Now, McCarthy has tried very hard over the past year to um, really, especially the past six months to sort of solidify solidify his place as sort of Trump's water carrier in the House of Representatives. Um, however, um, he did say some things um, about Trump, you know, in, in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th riots. And um, Trump doesn't forget all of these things. And now Trump might say like, well, he's he's you know loyal now and he's he's my best guy, potentially inside the House. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll endorse him. But um, but if he doesn't become speaker, it will be because Trump endorses somebody else like a steve scalise for example but i'm I'm still gonna buy okay we got to move on yep um that we sort of foreshadowed this um so we are assuming we are assuming as well for this prognostication that house republicans gain a majority in the house representatives if that happens the projection is that house republicans will impeach biden um sometime after the midterms so within the first, I don't know, I, this gets into the following year, but let's just say within 90 days. Okay. Ooh, within 90 days, that's tough. tough right? Yeah, that changes things a little bit for Yeah, me. that makes it really hard. Okay, uh, okay. Look, look, I, I was trying to keep it in 2022, but let, let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's just say they, they will impeach, they will impeach Biden in 2023. Okay, that, all right. I'm, then in that case, I'm back to buy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm buy. Yeah, I think I think I'm buying. Yeah, I I do think I mean, one of the things that's going to be tricky, I think, for the Republicans on that calculation is I think they do. And I think they're going to recognize this. I mean, especially as you move into sort of like a presidential year, I think they're going to want to be really, really careful because, I mean, one of the biggest things that we know happens with impeachments is you oftentimes help the sitting president. Yep. Uh, especially if you don't have good grounds right. and you know, it's hard enough to impeach a president when you have good grounds, but when you don't have good grounds that immediately generates sympathy. Um, it makes the American people very much more on their side. I mean, we saw this with Clinton. We actually saw this a little bit with Trump, even, even though there were good grounds, um, you know, a little bit less so with Trump because of that, but, but you even yeah. saw it somewhat there, you know, it really does. More often than, than not. And so I wonder if the Republicans are going to, uh, be savvy to that and be like, hey, do we really want to be basically inflating sympathy and love for Joe Biden right before he's going to be going up for, for re-election? So that might be, that gives me some pause on it. I might be more willing to sell, actually, I think, as a, the more I think about it. <laughs> I'm selling. I'm definitely selling. Um, I don't think you're going to get, I don't think the Republican majority is going to be huge. I think you could very easily, let's just say you have uh, even, even 20, 20 or 30 seat majority. I think, uh, I think there'd be enough who would just say, 
I don't like Biden and I'm a Trumpy guy, but I also don't think this is going to get us anywhere. Um, with the exception of if, if Biden did something just obviously impeachable, right. that, that changes well, I mean, everything. Rounds like this, Hasn't, you know, is, isn't a vaccine mandate already what well, yeah, exactly. grounds for um, impeachment? Yeah. Or Afghanistan. I mean, they have several things they'll yeah. bring up, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, they can even go back to Ukraine stuff with Hunter Biden. I honestly, I, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I stated on this podcast probably a year and a half ago that I think there are good reasons to impeach the majority of the president, modern presidents, but, um, but I, I won't go there <laughs> any more than I just did. So anyway, uh, I, I'm selling. Um, I don't think you're going to get 218 votes for impeachment. This is the most cynical I get on this whole list, but I actually do think because of the Trump impeachments and because of the way a certain portion of the Republican Party has made Trump the avatar of their political ideology, that we're going to see this tit-for-tat uh, procedure moving forward of every president is going to face at least articles of impeachment drawn up against them by a certain portion of the opposing party every time that party controls one one chamber of the legislature. Yeah. I mean, I, sure, they can be drawn up, um, and I, I think you're yeah. right. That's become more, yeah. um, more of a feature of the House representatives' you know, politics. I just, I don't know if we're going to get uh, an actual passage of impeachment. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I get it. I get it. Okay, um, so did we cover everybody? Yep. Mitch is selling. I'm selling. Andy, you're. Andy and I are buying. You two are mine. Okay. Well, we'll we, we will see what happens. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. More, more politics. Um, so this one's a little bit more <laughs> what'd you expect? What do you expect on a politics podcast? Okay. Um, this one's a little more specific though. Um, so there is a, um, a race heating up for Georgia governor. Um, it looks like um, the two, Front runners um, are going to be Stacey Abrams um, on the the Democratic side and David Perdue uh, for the Republicans. Um, this is going to get into a, a, a bigger sort of theme, which we will be addressing more extensively this upcoming year about um, about election fraud or at least claims of election fraud. Mm -hmm. My prognostication is that in the Georgia gubernatorial base race, both Abrams and Perdue are going to make substantial claims uh, that the election was stolen from them or that it was fraudulent um, and that there's going to be lots of lawsuits and well let, let, let me back up no matter let, let me back up I'm going to reframe this no matter which way the election goes there's going to be claims of electoral fraud it's either of them not both of them either right okay whoever loses um, it also there's also an assumption baked in here which is that that Kemp is not going to be renominated as the sitting governor and that David Perdue who ran a, I mean, he does have Trump support, but it was a very lackluster Senate candidate last year or two years ago now, I guess, um, will win the nomination. So I'm selling because I actually don't think I, I I'm, I'm selling in part based on that proposition. I'm also not sure. Like, I think the, the fraud claims work better if the election's really close. I'm not sure I buy the assumption that this will be really close um, in Georgia. Okay. Like, I don't know the Abrams position is going to be that strong. So yeah, I'm still okay. This might be a, just a badly written prognostication. So that's quite possible. Well, uh, no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, I just don't know that I, 
anything that'll be that person, but B that'll be that close. Enjoy That's true. Yes, I, I, there is there is an assumption being made. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course, you could come around and say, like, well, Purdue could claim fraud in his own primary. Right. You could, right. No, I know. I thought that's, I actually kind of wondered, like, is that part of this too, right? Um, but boy, that would be really, that's a whole other level. Let's hope we yeah. don't get there. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah it, can, I, you, go ahead, sorry, Mitch. Go ahead, Mitch. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I'm with Andy. I'm, I'm not sure that Purdue is going to become the candidate. Um, and, and I'm also not sure that it's going to be, that it's going to be that close. I think part of, you know, one of the things that, um, particularly for Stacey Abrams, and I think this will change the calculation for on her part. This is where I think I'm especially selling is, I mean, part of the reason that she was concerned about the results in, in the, you know, the last time around in 2018 was, uh, that at the time, um, shoot, his name just ran out of my head, the current governor, um, yeah, Brian Kemp. Kemp. Yeah. Brian Kemp. Kemp. Um, he was, he was the secretary of state at the time that he was yeah. running for yeah. governor. And he right. refused to do anything to sort of recuse himself or anything else yep. from that process. And that was her, I mean, she was making that argument really from the beginning. I mean, she, it yeah. wasn't, it was very much not the sort of like half-baked claim after the fact um, in her case, you know, she was much more forthright about it throughout the entire campaign that she thought this was an unfair advantage for him and things like that. I mean, so you know, I think the comparisons that people sometimes try to draw between the claims that Trump made and the claims right. that Stacey Abrams made are yeah. um, pretty fallacious. Oft oftentimes, I think, I think, I think they really are right. totally in a different class. Um, particularly, again, because of the situation that she was facing, where she was running against the person who was literally running the election that she was in. Um, so, in that way, you know, she's not facing that situation. I guess is no. where I'm going with this. And right. so, I don't think she's going to make that claim again, given that that's not, you know. No her situation and she hasn't made those claims at the beginning of the race, which she was, again, she was doing from the very beginning um, last time around. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, but she also made, I mean, she said, yeah, it's unfair, you know, and this, this is not right. But at the same time, she basically came out all but said the election was stolen and provided basically no evidence that it was. Yeah. Um, sure. So, which is deeply problematic in my view, um, even yeah. though I agree with her, particular <laughs> beef with uh the fact that she was running against the secretary of state right and the other change the other thing has changed since 20 you know 2018 right is that we we have a secretary of state who's republican but who certified a presidential victory in georgia for the democratic mm -hmm. party he received a lot of guff from his own party right so in that sense i mean yeah. if anything abrams probably has a, a like it's gonna be harder for her to make that claim than it would be for purdue in some ways, right? right. So the Republicans have already done this against this guy, but she can look and say, well, he, he did certify my efforts <laughs> to the vote in 2020 um, as, in fact, a legitimate victory for the, the presidential candidate I was supporting. So I think that makes it harder to think that she would do it. This is obviously when we can't prove one way or the other because, yeah. you know, obviously they won't both win, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, Chris, this is a this is a badly um, worded uh, prognostication, but uh, quick thoughts. Yeah, I'm I'm going to keep mine really short here. I'm yep. going to sell on this. I think that the like just the way it was originally written, they're not both going to claim fraud. Somebody's going to win, but even if it's just one of them claiming fraud, I don't think the courts necessarily get involved. I think this is a structurally different race than it was previously. So I'm going to sell. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm going to sell as well. So let's move on. Okay, so um, thinking about the presidential 
races, um, presidential race that's going to be heating up here. Um, the next prognostication is that top Democrats begin making moves to set up presidential bids because they think Biden won't run for a second term. And that's during 2020, like pre-midterms, you're saying, right? Pre-midterms, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm selling. We're going to say this up this upcoming year. Yeah, I actually, through 2022 is important to me. Yeah. I know those extra like four weeks but probably they don't matter that much, but I think they do a little bit, especially yeah. if, if um, depending on whatever Democrats do in the midterms, you're going to see some people, either um, governors who did particularly well, Democratic governors who did well, might see this as their opportunity or um, members of the Senate. Um, yeah, I, I actually think that this is very likely. I'm going to buy. Yeah, yeah how about I'm you? Also, yeah. yeah, I think I'm also buying. I think I'm buying um, pretty much for the same reasons. I think, if, if, you know, no matter what, there's going to be if, if well, if if there are no losses, then Biden's going to look, you know, like a genius or something. Maybe not a genius, but he's going to look he's going to look strong. Um, if but as is probably more likely, you know, if they lose seats. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Chris, like somebody. There's at least going to be one opportunistic person who says Biden can't lead the party. <laughs> you know, I will be the one who can do it. Well, okay, yeah, but that's uh, so. I guess I, I'm selling because I don't think that person. I think they're going to be more like a Dennis Kucinich, right, than a Kamala Harris, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm kind of leaning on that top Democrats. Like I yeah. think top Democrats yeah. are going to keep their powder dry. Um, I think you don't want to like undermine your own president that early. Um, there's just there's not a lot of upside really. But anyway. And, the, and I'm not sure who that person is, honestly, at this point. But yeah. it also depends on what you mean by making moves, right? I mean, you could do book tours, you know, right. go to Iowa, right? Go to Iowa. Yeah. So, so a lot, a lot hinges you, you on. You can that. form a fundraising pack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, so I think, and and, and th that's all the groundwork stuff that you do two years out anyway. So mm -hmm. I think you're going to start to see that sort of quiet movement towards the end of this year. Um, I don't think it's going to be sort of signaled in a flashy way. I do think you're going to see some more serious contenders, maybe not top echelon, but some serious contenders um, making some quiet moves and building building the the ground groundwork for that. So I'm buying. Okay, let's move on. Um, so related to this. Um, Vice President Kamala Harris rises to the occasion and becomes a clear successor to Biden. And this becomes clear in 2022. So I'm selling. Obviously, this is this the, oh, go ahead, Chris. This is the most Sunday morning CNN talk show part of this whole podcast. Oh, yeah. Because I don't have good political science knowledge for this. I also don't have good, like, inside yeah. information on what's happening inside the White House. But there is no perceivable evidence that she is positioning herself to be Biden's successor. She's faded in terms of public spotlight. She is um, some of her key staffers, key advisors are now leaving her campaign. One of her longest uh, term sort of uh, closest advisors is leaving to become a, uh, a news. Uh, um, I can't remember which station it's either CNN or MSNBC, like a contributor. So um, I think 
I think Sal, I, it, it doesn't look like there's a clear pathway for her to kind of be what some people thought would be the case, which is sort of Biden would sort of fade as a president in terms of his role and, and Harris would become sort of the person waiting in the wings. It, it doesn't appear like that at all. Uh, thank you, Chris, for indulging in this moment of rank punditry. I'm very mm-hmm. grateful. Um, I'm also going to sell on this. Um, and for, for all for all those stated reasons, um, she's still not popular. She's still not well liked. Um, she doesn't have the best political instincts um, in the world. Um, she doesn't have. What, what she would need to do is she would need to start getting top. You need to get support from top Democratic operatives, like key Democratic players who are sort of lining up behind her quietly. Um, signaling that they'd be willing to to get on board with that. And you've just seen absolutely none of that whatsoever. Um, And I think that more than anything um, just indicates that um, she is not a front runner in any way right now. She won't be um, at the conclusion of this year. Um, And she could be, you know, a top contender potentially in an open primary, um, but she's would not be the strongest candidate even at that point. Okay, um, Mitch, thoughts real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm selling. I don't have too much to add to that, but I'm selling. <laughs> okay, um, so we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, um, but we've kind of moved through the uh, first two branches of government. We should say something about the Supreme Court so they don't feel left out. Um, so let's look at a couple of the big Supreme Court um, rulings uh, that we'll probably get Um um, this upcoming year, based off of a couple of oral arguments that happened in November. Um, so the first is that the Supreme Court, so this is a prognostication, the Supreme Court issues a landmark ruling on abortion rights. And the projection is that the court overturns the Roe Casey framework and upholds the Mississippi law. That's the whole package. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They uphold the Roe Casey framework, which is the current sort of legal framework um, for abortion rights and regulations. Um, and we could spend a whole pot on that. Maybe we will. Um, but real quick here, buy, sell, hold. They overturn the Roe Casey framework and on those grounds uphold the Mississippi law restricting abortions. This one is a strong buy. Um, I mean, I think if I'm if I'm if I'm betting my my non Bethel, I, I guess I'm I'm not at Bethel anymore. You're so. not complaining. Yeah. Right make it rain, <laughs> Mitch. Make it rain. I can, I can, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bet loads of money here. Um, no. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, this is this one's a strong buy um, for me. I think. It, it, for, for, I, I listened to the oral arguments, and it seems pretty clear that there are at least five justices. Um, you know, Roberts is a little more squishy. Um, he seemed to be searching for some kind of way to sort of like strike a middle ground, and it seemed like nobody else on the conservative side was was even halfway interested in in, in joining him on that. Um, and so I wonder, in many ways, if it's actually going to be. I, I, in fact, I think because of that, it's probably almost certainly going to be a six-three. Um, decision because Roberts is going to want to be in the majority um, to try to influence, um, you know, the the, the, the the language of the of of of, of the decision. But I think it, in joining, it's he's going to it's going to have to be something. Even even if and I and I wonder even if they try to say, which I think they might, we're not completely overturning Roe v. Wade. Like if they uphold the Mississippi law, and I think Matt, you've phrased this absolutely correctly like in the way that that's that that's written if they uphold the mississippi law 
it is de facto overruled Roe and Casey, <laughs> even if they try to say that they haven't, they have. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's going to happen. I don't think there's too much. I, I, I would be like absolutely like on the floor shocked if something different happened. Yeah, I would not be shocked, but I do think I do think this is going to happen. So I'm buying. Andy, Chris, bye, bye. Okay. I think the other thing that, that really shows this too. I mean, sorry to make this longer, but I think the other reason that it's, I'm such a strong buy, I mean, is the court's rulings on the Texas law. I mean, we've already seen that that there are five justices who are very willing to already act as if Roe is not, you know, Roe and Casey are not precedents, um, you know, and so that kind of says, you know, tell, you know, I think, I think we talked about this before. But I think that graphs, you know, where they're headed. Yeah, although that case had nothing to do with Roe and Casey. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. So, <laughs> um, okay, no, we got we got to move on. We got to move on. We got to move on. So, um, we we will talk about this more. Um, but we got to get we we got uh, a little more ground to cover before we conclude. Also, another Supreme Court case. There's a really key Supreme Court case, uh, the biggest um, Supreme Court case uh, that we've had in over a decade on the Second Amendment. So, uh, basically, there is a New York law. Um, that is highly restrictive of uh, people's ability to actually sort of carry arms, um, to literally transport arms even from their home to, let's say, a shooting range. Um, this um, has run afoul of the court system. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments on this um, uh, just a couple of months ago. And so the projection is that the Supreme Court issues a landmark ruling on the Second Amendment which affirms a Second Amendment right to bear arms. Just a quick clarification, the Supreme Court in a, an important decision, um, um, the Heller decision uh, basically incorporated the right um, to keep arms, basically affirmed that the Second Amendment prohibits states from passing laws that prevent people from owning arms. Uh, but there's really not been any clarification about um, the possibility of people being able to literally carry arms um, on their persons, right, and transport them. That's the thing that's in question. And of course, you know, how much restrictions you can have on that. So basically, the question is whether or not the, the Supreme Court is going to uphold a Second Amendment right to bear arms. Buy, sell, hold. I'm buying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm buying too. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think it's it, and I and I think you know, I, I think I think Thomas and 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 Alito in particular have made it very clear um, that they at least that they believe they 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 have the votes, you know, for this you know for this movement on on second on the Second Amendment. Yeah. And and I think they're right. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, we actually know that. I mean, one of the ways that. Uh, um, you know, Gorsuch obviously has already signaled um, his friendliness um, on this. And Kavanaugh, you know, Kavanaugh was, I think, perceived as somewhat squishy on certain issues. I mean, including abortion, although he now seems to be pretty solidly in the overturn, overturn the Roe Casey framework camp. But one place where there was seemed to be no question about Kavanaugh's like right leaning conservative place was on his position on guns. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, yeah. Roberts is friendly towards, you know, guns and, you know, so in that way, like we don't even, yeah. So there's five votes. I mean, yeah. Chris, yep. uh, based on what you guys have, I, this is not a case I followed closely, but now I want to go back and look at it some more. But based on what you guys have all said here, I'll buy two. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I'm buying, and that's the thing. They could, they could. I mean, the New York law is so incredibly restrictive. Basically, it requires citizens to prove that they have a need to carry a gun, right? So all of a sudden, the 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 right to bear an arm, right, is is has become a privilege, not a right. Um, and so they, the court could very easily sort of strike this down, um, but still allow plenty of maneuvering room for restrictions on carrying. The question to me is, is is a court going to try to um, provide some criteria, um, some guidance on what sorts of restrictions are acceptable, or are they, you know, and how much are they going to do that? And of course, this is just the beginning of a whole new set of lawsuits that are going to try to untangle those questions. So, okay, um, let's go to Minnesota very, very briefly here. Um, projection: Governor Tim Waltz wins his reelection bid. Buy, sell, hold. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I, I said bye, but I don't feel strongly about it. It's really early to tell, and it wouldn't shock me if six months from now um, he's running in a dead heat with Paul Gazelka. It would. I'm a little stronger by it. I think. Um, I think that the odds are the Republicans are going to put up a further right candidate than Minnesota can stomach. Um, and so, I mean, like if you get, like, say, Michelle Benson. Maybe she can make it competitive. Maybe Gazelka can, although I, I'm just not convinced he can really go toe-to-toe. But you're more likely to probably get somebody even further to the right, like, say, Scott Jensen or something. And that becomes, you know, that, that kind of person can win a Republican nomination in Minnesota, but I just don't know if they can win a majority. Um, fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, and I'm uh, yeah. not crazy laughed by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I think he's pretty well positioned. Yeah, he's fairly popular. He's fairly competent. He's not a flamethrower, right? Um, and Republicans are more likely than not to put up someone who's pretty pretty ideological and just simply yeah. couldn't win against a moderate Democrat. So. Minnesota's increasingly purple, but we're still a bluish purple, not a reddish purple. Yeah. Yep, right? yep, yep. Um, Mitch, I know you're no longer a denizen of these <laughs> cold northern wastelands, but... Um, Sorry, um, beautiful countryside. Um, but do you have have an opinion? Um, would you like to weigh in? Uh, I don't have a strong opinion. I, I'll be honest. Okay. I've 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 been following Minnesota politics less and less here. But um, I but, can't imagine why. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been I've been increasingly trying to get myself uh, acclimated to South Carolina politics, which um, may surprise you or quite different. Um, and <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have a strong opinion um, on on, on the governor's race. Okay, fair enough. Okay, we're doing lightning on the last two. Okay. Um, and, and by lightning, I mean lightning. Okay, a Republican wins a statewide office in Minnesota for the first time since 2006. I'm selling. Selling. I said bye, but for dumb reasons. So I'm going to regret this. <laughs> I'll, stick, I'll stick with my pick. But um, I, I went with Andy's purple argument and thought, this is just at some point we gotta get regression towards the mean here, and yeah. we get, we're gonna get somebody sneak through. And all I all I need is for Waltz to screw up or somebody, and I get this. So I'm, I'll buy. Sure, good. Thanks, Chris. Okay, possible. Yeah, I just but I'm still selling. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, okay, last one. Republicans win a majority in the state House of Representatives. I'm buying. Um, you're right. buying. Hmm. I don't know my Minnesota politics. I, I said sell. I took a look at it. Um, I 
if Waltz is going to win re-election handily, I just don't know where the votes come from for them to pick. How many seats would they need to pick up? Seven seats, I think. Yeah, that yeah. seems like it seems like a lot. I just I just don't think that happens. Yeah, I'm selling. I think um, I think there's a better chance when there is a Republican front runner in a presidential election for that scenario to happen. Right. Kind of the coattails effect, which there really wasn't much of one to speak this past time around. Right. Either direction. But I just I don't see it happening here. So um, and even if they do, it's going to be just razor thin. So. Sure. So. But uh, I'm going to sell. Yeah. All right. This was awesome. That was fun. Thanks for going on with this idea, guys. Yeah. This, was, this was good. Um, Mitch, are you are your classes face to face right now? Uh, I'm actually split. Um, so I've got two online, two face to face. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing, I'm doing both. Bethel just moved the uh, majority of its uh, interim classes online uh, oh because of the Omicron variant. Yep. So I have to ask my uh, colleagues here, buy, sell, hold. <laughs> Bethel will start the semester online. Spring semester? Bethel will start spring semester online. I am going to sell. I think we will start face-to-face. Okay. Well, since you already told us about your insider knowledge, Dr. Moore, but I, I didn't feel tell like... You, but I also I stopped myself, and I did not tell you what the insider knowledge was. You didn't tell us what it was. But you hinted at it. <laughs> um, I'm going to hold. Uh, <laughs> look at that. Look at that equivocation. <laughs> All right, Martha. Our, 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 producer, our producer, Sam Mulberry, weigh in. Buy, sell, hold. Bethel starts uh, spring semester online. I'm going to say that we are definitely starting face to face. So that would be a sell. That's a sell. It is a sell. It's a sell. Well, Martha Stewart Moore, are you going to buy sell homes with your insider info? Well, it would be, it, I, I don't want to have a, a, a brace around my ankle. So I'm going to keep my insider information myself. But just, but just suggest. Just suggest that uh, some things would have to change dramatically for us, I think, to uh, start online. Well, I also think, I mean, the predictions for the Omicron variant are that they're going to start actually declining. Like we've seen a massive explosion yeah. and then it's going to, you know, yep. decline quickly. So, yep, yep. I, I, yeah, I honestly think that's probably the way it's going. I just needed to be kind of ornery. Um, yeah. You know, but I do wonder, you know, if we continue to have testing, test kit shortages and um, and although New York, you know, for example, looks like it's peaking, it really hasn't. We, we're not close. We, we're still a few weeks out from peaking in middle America. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what sort of makes me think like, oh, OK, I mean, the Twin Cities is really peaking. Or, I mean, well, it hasn't really peaked yet. It's going up the outlying areas in Iowa and the Dakotas. They're just getting started. Um, and we got a lot of students from there. So. That's why I'm. Yeah. If I had to pick, I would I would sell, but that I'm gonna hold. So fair enough. All right, all right, guys. Thanks. This is super fun. Uh, we're doing this partially to keep ourselves accountable. We'll revisit some of these predictions over the course of the year, and we're certain that there are plenty of things that we haven't even thought of to talk about that we'll have plenty of time to analyze and lend some political science insight to over the course of this year. Thanks for hanging with us for another year. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, more stuff coming down uh, this podcast and this podcast channel uh, over the course of 2022. Make sure you check us out at Election Shock Therapy. You can email us electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. You can also check out the podcast channel, channel 3900, 
which is available to uh, be reached for comment at channel 3900 at gmail.com too. Thanks for listening to us and touring your podcast feed again. Go Royals. 